We are reading in Genesis chapter 8. And in Genesis chapter 8, we had covered that the flood had subsided and, and uh, the waters were going down. And then it, it says in, in verse 13 of Genesis chapter 8, Now it came about in the 601st year, in the first month, on the first of the month, that the water dried up from the earth. Then Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold, the surface of the ground was dried up. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God spoke to Noah saying, get out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, and cold and heat and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. So we read previously how Noah went into the ark on his 600th year of life. The time is recorded according to his years of life. And then he came out on the 601st year in the first month. On, in the first month. And then it says, uh, I'm sorry, in, in, in verse 14, in the second month on the 27th day of the month. So this is exactly one year and 10 days from the time he went in the ark to the time he's told to come out. One year and ten days. This is lunar days. The Bible always goes by lunar days. So, so for our solar days, this would be exactly one year. One year based on solar days. Because, and and um, So it says that, that God told Noah, he said, go out of the ark, you and your wife, in verse 16, and your sons and your sons' wives with you, and bring out all the animals. So that was the instruction. And so he went out. And all the beasts. But Noah did something that God didn't ask him to do. Just on his own, Noah did something. And that is in verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. This is the first example of an altar ever being built in the Bible. Prior to the flood, There was the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve had been cast out of the Garden of Eden. And it says the Lord had established some guard of of cherubim there. But they lived, it says, just to the east of the Garden of Eden. And there was the presence of God there. And we know that. And it seems like that's where the offerings were being made, where God's presence dwelt. They couldn't go in the garden, but right up to the garden. And we, we have a better indication of that in, uh, in chapter 3, verse 24, it says, So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned 
every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So there were cherubim stationed at that east door of the Garden of Eden. Adam lived just outside the east door of the Garden of Eden. And then this is made, we see a reference to this again, when Cain, due to his sin, was cast away from that east side of the Garden of Eden. Cain said in verse 13 of chapter 4, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one, so that no one finding him would slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So he sent them further away east. Cain says, I'm going to be removed from your presence. So there was the Shekinah glory was still on the east side of the Garden of Eden. They needed no altar at that time. That's where the offerings were made. But now that's all been destroyed in the flood. This is the first indication of an altar. The first thing that Noah did when he came off that ark is he built an altar. And he offered up a burnt offering. A burnt offering is an offering of renewal. An offering of renewal. Where I'm going to renew my relationship with the Lord. Of all the things to do. Can you imagine coming off out of that ark after a year and you're like, whoa, I am so glad to be out of here. Just let's have a barbecue or something. Let's kick back and do all the things we couldn't do when we were on that boat for a year. The first thing he did is he set up an altar. And he offered of every clean animal and every clean bird. Now remember, of the unclean, there was a pair, a breeding pair. Of the clean, it says, it says uh, that he, he, he brought much more than that in, into the ark. So he brought, he brought uh, uh, in Genesis chapter 7, verse 2, you shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean, two, a male and his female. So of the clean animals... They went by sevens. In fact, the, 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 the exact rendering of that is seven, seven. So it's believed that there were 14, that there were, that, that there were uh, uh, seven pairs. And he offered up from every one of those. Now think about that. He has worked for a year keeping these animals alive on this boat. He comes off and he's going to kill one at least one of every one of those clean animals. These were, remember, all his cattle, all the sheep that they were going to have to live off of. They had eight people. Why, why do this? Why this waste? Why this waste? I'll tell you a story. When I, was, uh, when I first got saved, um, you know, and, and I first started really going to a church, and getting involved in a church, my, my mother was very concerned, and she came to, to visit Shireen and myself. This was... This was um, I think Shireen and I were engaged at the time, and, and we went to the church. And, and I remember during the church service, this was the first service that I had t- brought my mother to. She was weeping the whole service. And after the service, I said to her, you were really touched by that service. She's touched? Why, why would you say that? I said, because you were weeping the whole time. She said, I wasn't weeping for that. I'm weeping for you. I said, what do you mean? She says, 
because my son is here in this building. I said, well, where should I be on a Sunday afternoon? She said, well, how about the beach like every other normal human being? Now, this is a woman who ended up coming to the Lord about 20 years after that event. But at the time, she looked at this as an enormous waste. And you want to know something? I understand that. From her perspective, what is her son doing? What's this Jewish boy doing in this church? Spending his Sunday afternoon in this church worshiping some strange deity. Why doesn't he just go to the beach like every other normal human being on a Sunday afternoon? It was a tremendous waste. When you look at things from the perspective of God, when you look at things from God's perspective, it's very different than from the world's perspective. We have several more seats up here if you want them as well. Okay? All right. So, so, we, so the, from, the, from the perspective of God, it's very different. Very different. The world will often look at things and wonder, why do we do the things that we do? Why is it that we waste our time on things like this? But look what happens. Noah builds this altar to the Lord, and he offers up one of every one of these animals. After he had just invested all this in these animals and keeping them alive, he's now killing them. What a waste. In the human being's eyes, that is a tremendous waste. But in the eyes of God, that is not a waste. That is not a waste. People do not understand this, that it's okay to quote-unquote waste on the Lord when we're giving it to God. Look at the result of this. Verse 21, God, the Lord smelled the soothing aroma and the Lord said to himself, think about this, the Lord is saying to himself, why does he say to himself? Why didn't he just think this? Because remember, every word of God has to happen. It must come true. So he says it to himself. He, he sees this offering of Noah and he says to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. That's a big deal. He cursed the ground on account of Adam's sin. It tells us in, in, uh, in Genesis that he cursed the ground in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. He says he cursed the ground. Cursed is the ground because of you. And then again, he cursed, he cursed the ground because of Cain's sin. And that's in chapter 4. And he said, you'll never see fruitfulness from your hands from the ground again, Cain. He says, I'll never curse the ground again. Because of this burnt offering, because you have offered this up to me, Noah, I will never curse the ground again on account of man, on account of humankind. That's a big deal. You think that was a worthwhile offering? I'll never again curse the ground because of the offering. He says, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. He says, don't get me wrong. I know that man's heart is evil from his youth. It's not that all of a sudden you give up this burnt offering and I think all of a sudden, oh, they're good. The, the, uh, the, the, they were cured just by this, um, this, this, this flood, it cured their hearts. That's not the case at all. Their hearts were not cured. It says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, that the heart of man is desperately sick and more wicked than all else. Who can understand it? 
So God is not confused by this. He says, I just want you to remember, I know your heart is wicked. But that burnt offering means a lot to me. He says, moreover, he gives another promise. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. In other words, I will never again destroy every living thing in the same way that I have done. The the earth will never get flooded again. If this had been just a local flood, then God's violated his word. Because lots of people die in local floods all the time, all over the world. He said, I'll never again flood the earth like I did. Now, the earth is going to be destroyed. And we know that from the word of God. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, it says, 2 Peter 3, 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. And then again, it says in verse 12 of 2 Peter chapter 3, <coughs> looking, looking for the hastening, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. The next time the earth is destroyed, it's going to be destroyed by fire. I really like that it says the elements are going to be destroyed. This, to me, speaks of a nuclear holocaust. Then you can change one element into another. I don't know that the scripture writer was really thinking of the elements in that way. But when a chemist reads elements, it means, you know, periodic table, these things. And you change the number of protons and you change one element into another. And you can do that by a nuclear process. And and the nuclear process will burn up the earth. I mean, these things are really hot. So it just kind of all makes sense to me. But the next time the earth is going to be destroyed in that way. He says, says, I'll never do it. I'll never flood the earth again. And then he says, and by the way, in verse 22 of Genesis chapter 8, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. So you don't have to worry. That what if I wake up and it's not morning, and, and then morning never comes? No, there's the promise. This one offering dropped all these promises on humankind. Is it okay to, quote-unquote, waste on the Lord in an offering? Is it okay to give in an offering like that? Why would, why would people say, you know, don't waste that? Don't waste that. Why would we even say to ourselves, oh, don't, don't give this to the Lord. Don't give this time. If you learn to set up a family altar, and by family I mean even for yourself, if you learn to set aside a time to be with the Lord every day where you set up an altar for the Lord, where you have a time, first thing, first thing off that boat, first thing in the morning to spend time with God, you have no idea the blessing that it will bring in your life and in the life of your family. To set up an altar where you're giving back to God, where you're just pouring out before God yourself. We don't use burnt offerings anymore. That's been paid for by Jesus. But what we do is we give thanks to the Lord. I want you to turn to John John chapter 12, and we're going to start reading from verse 1. John chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. 
So they made him supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Now I want to remind you that Jesus loved this home. He loved the home of Martha and Mary and the brother Lazarus, such that when Lazarus died, he raised him back up to life. This is the same Mary that earlier on was sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha was serving, and she got so upset because she's doing all this work, and she says to Jesus, you know, I'm doing all this work. What, tell Mary to help me. And he says, Mary's actually doing the better part. This is the same home. Verse 3, Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and was wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was intending to betray him, said, why, this, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So here, here, is, here is Judas saying, this could have been sold for 300 denarii. That's 300 days wage. So 300 days is a, is a lot more than a, a working week's worth of days. So, so say $50,000, $40,000 of a common person. This is a lot of money. That was a lot of money. So, so women would take this little bottle and, you know, put a little bit on. I mean, they wouldn't dumble out the whole bottle. That great value. She's pouring a whole bottle on Jesus. Judas, the guy with the wicked heart, says, why didn't we just give this to the poor? Verse 6. Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. She was preparing Jesus for the day of his burial. He said, you always have the poor with you. You see that, that sort of self-righteousness. I care about the poor. No use giving this to Jesus. I care about the poor. I'm doing the better work. Jesus said, actually, no. You know what's going on. You're a thief. You want this for yourself. Why would Jesus put, put Judas in charge of the money box if the man was a thief? And there are other references to Judas being in charge of the money box in the, in the New Testament. Why would he have chosen the thief? Well, maybe because he wanted the man to be convicted so that there was more opportunity for him to, to turn. But you see that, that uh, um, Jesus said, it's okay to pour out for the Lord. Very often, when we want to hold back, when we want to hold back in giving something for the Lord's work, it's because of selfishness. It's not so much, oh, I want to do something noble with this money. No, it's I want to feed my face. I want it for my own desires. The Bible called Judas out on this one. And Jesus called him out on this. He said, the poor you always have with you. Jesus didn't neglect the poor. He was always preaching to the poor and healing the poor. But he said, that is not a substitute for having your altar. That is not a substitute for worshiping the Lord. Let's, let's turn to, uh, to, to uh, Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And we're going to start reading at verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees, Luke 7, 36. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. 
And he entered the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. So, so think of this picture. You have a Pharisee. I thought Jesus was always confronting the Pharisees. He was. He was, he was confronting them with their re- religiosity. But one of them invited Jesus over his house. And what did Jesus do? He went. He went to his house. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. When it says a sinner, that is a euphemism for prostitute. And she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner or a prostitute. So it says she was behind him at his feet. So they would recline at the table, so they would lie down on the floor, get up on one elbow or have a pillow underneath them, and that's the way they used to eat. Their tables were low. And you can see that in some parts of the Middle East. You go to some Arab restaurants today, you'll see that. And so she's down at Jesus' feet and anointing his feet with her hair, with this perfume, and then her tears, and she's wiping his feet with her hair. So this is not the Mary. That was, that was in Bethany. This is in the Pharisees' home. This is another situation. And Mary, that was in, that's the sister of Martha and Lazarus, was not a prostitute. This was a prostitute in that city. I'm sure she was never invited to the Pharisee's house, but she heard he was there and she came walking in with all the other disciples. So it says that the, the, the Pharisee who had invited him, he said in verse 39, he said to himself, he didn't even voice it. He's just speaking this to himself. He says, if he were really a prophet, he would know that this woman is a prostitute. I know because I can tell by looking at her. Here this guy thinks he's a prophet. He can't even tell. So remember, he voiced not a word. But in verse 40, and Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And he said to him, you've judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has not. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So he tells Simon this story. Two, two people owed a man money. One owed him five cents and the other owed him $50,000. Okay. 
He forgave both debts. Who's going to love him more? What if we forgave more, right? If somebody gives you five cents, do you like, oh, I'm just blown away by that generosity? No. But if somebody gives you $50,000, you'd be like, man, these people are so nice. So you, you get the picture here. And Jesus, Jesus said, he said, the one who, he forgave more. He says, that's right. She has been forgiven much. She loves much. She loves much. She was pouring out what she had and quote unquote, wasting it upon, Je- uh, upon Jesus. So he becomes indignant. What does Jesus do? So Jesus says to her, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven loves little. In other words, before he even said it to the Pharisee, he says, I've already forgiven her. She has, her sins are many, but I've already forgiven her. I've already forgiven her. What did the offering bring down? It brought down forgiveness. What did it bring down upon Noah? It brought down blessing upon humankind. When we pour out blessing and and, and praise upon Jesus, when we pour out our praise upon Jesus, blessing falls upon us. You bring blessing upon your home. Every morning I wake up early and I have my time with the Lord. And when when children lived in my home, when we, we we had kids in our home, we would always have family devotions in the morning. And I'd wake up my kids at 5.30 and we'd have family devotions from 5.30 to 6 a.m. Then I'd leave the house at 6 a.m. And, and I did that, did that uh, uh, Monday through Friday. I did that with them. And so we would have these family devotions. But I had to get up before that to have my own time. And my kids always knew if they woke up early in the morning, their daddy was down there right at the bottom of the steps at the altar. He knew exactly where to find me. You bring down blessing upon your home. You bring down blessing upon your family. You bring down blessing upon humankind. When you do this, you neglect it and you don't get it. Here, this Pharisee had Jesus in his home for dinner. You'd think he'd get even more. No. The one who pours themselves out for him. He said, I've forgiven her sins, which are many. I've already forgiven them. And then he says to her, in verse 48, your sins have been forgiven. So he told, he told the Pharisees, I've already forgiven her. Then he said to her, you're forgiven. So the, this, these, <clears throat> those who were with him at the table were thinking, how can this guy forgive sins? Who is he to forgive sins? And Jesus they, remember, they just said it to themselves, but Jesus knew what's going through their mind. She says, you think that's something? How about this? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I mean, who can save a person except God? I mean, this woman brought salvation into her life through this offering. Salvation came to her life through this offering to the Lord as she poured herself out for the Lord, salvation came to her. If you will wake up in the morning and establish your day with an altar before the Lord, where you take the word of God and you begin to read it, and then you begin to speak to God and praise him, 
and thank Him. God says that is a soothing aroma to me. And He'll start saying to Himself things that drop down blessings upon your life. You say, well, you don't know how busy I am. No, the busier you are, the more you have to do it. The more you're dependent upon Him. You know, because I have to wake up in the morning and spend time with God, you know what that means? It dictates that I go to bed at an hour that will allow me to have the sleep that I need to wake up and spend time with God. So it causes me to have to order my life. I can't just stay up with everybody and just sit around and... No, because I'm always thinking, i got to get up and be with my Lord. He'll be there. The question is, will I be there? He'll be there. He'll be at that altar. He's probably looking at his watch. Where's Jim? Is he coming? What happened to him this morning? He's there. You will bring down blessings upon blessings in your life. The gospel call is, you can have this if you have Jesus. He has provided the way. He has become your offering. He has given himself for you. Will you receive that? I'm amazed at this free gift that Jesus gives us of his life. He gives us this free gift. The burnt offering, it's all upon him. He made the offering of his own body, his own life. And people are like, no, I don't want that gift. I'm like, are you crazy? I mean, if, if, if I offered you $1,000, would you take it? Yeah, I'd take that. Well, how could you turn down this gift? This is a free gift. If you do not know the Lord, you are turning down every day a free gift that is being offered to you. You are turning down the free gift of bringing blessing upon your home, upon your family, upon your children. You're turning it down. No, I don't want it. Jesus is offering that to you. I say this day, invite him into your heart. Say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Come into my life. And watch, Jesus will say, your sins, which are many, have been forgiven. And he'll say, as he said to this lady, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I welcome you this day to invite Jesus into your heart. And if you know the Lord, I challenge you to set up a daily altar with the Lord. I challenge you to do that. I know that if you get into the Word of God and you have a daily time alone with the Lord, you don't need me. You will do just fine. You will do just fine. The Lord will speak to you through the Scriptures. I know that you can graduate and you will do just fine. And then you bring that pattern into your family. You bring that pattern into your marriage. You bring that pattern into your family with your children. And your life will be so much better. So many times I offer my career up to him. I say, Lord, make me like super creative in my work. Lord, make me creative. Let me discover great things, Lord. Do that in my life. And what happens? The Lord intercedes and he does this. When you forget that altar, you are the one who really loses out. You are the one who really loses out. So I challenge you this day to order your life 
around an altar. First thing coming out of that ark. First thing. The world would say, why don't, why don't you just get an extra 30 minutes of sleep? Isn't that better? I mean, no. I'm going to take that which is precious to me and I'm going to offer it up to the Lord. Don't be afraid to give what you have for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, the truth of your word. Father, I pray for the believers that are here that they would establish an altar in their lives where they would take your word, read it, meditate upon it, and then learn to praise you every day for your goodness toward them, to give thanks, a thank offering to you every day, to remember Jesus who has given himself for them. Jesus, as he is glorified, as he is lifted up, Blessings upon blessings will be poured out upon their lives. That I know. Because for Jesus, the earth was too little. He has been seated at the right hand of his Father. All heavens and and the earth had been granted to him. All authority. He is worthy of our praise. Praise you, Lord Jesus, for who you are, for what you've done, for dying for me, for our lives. Father, thank you for Jesus. And Father, for those here who do not know you, may they receive that free gift and say, Lord, please forgive me. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and save my soul. Jesus, the lover of my soul, save me. Father, that they would not deny this free gift this day. Your blessing draw them, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.